welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, can the 49ers buck the losing trend and beat the Colts? What if the 49ers lose? Does Shanahan deserve to be on the hot seat? And with me this week, making sure I know he'd take a co-host trade very personally, it's David Newman. You're damn right I would. Who's getting traded? Yeah. No one's getting traded, but DeForest Buckner basically wax philosophical about all of the feelings that were hurt when he was traded. And I get it. You know, you put your heart and soul into a place for as long as he did. You go from a two-win team to a Super Bowl losing team. Uh, then, you know, it's going to feel like you put your blood, sweat, and tears into something all the way to the Super Bowl and you want to continue it. And then the Niners are like, nah, bro. Nah, man. Here you go. Sorry about Ship it. Ship you off to the Colts. Ship you off to the Colts. We're going to talk a little bit about DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead and how the two are performing this season a little bit later before we, uh, as we talk about actually the preview. But first, a little housekeeping, a little off cycle this week. It is Wednesday, which means you'll be getting this on Thursday. And we did, we did one show this week. We need some time off. We need to go to the pumpkin patch. Relax. Hang out with the kids. Bye week. Great. All right. We need a little, a little recharge time. We got still 12 fucking weeks left in this season. <laughs> Which I just, if I, if you're thinking like, wow, that's weird that he would bring that up. I definitely did just count them before we started uh, the show. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's where we're at. Need a little break. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, it gave us the space though to make a head to to literally make a headline in the athletic. <laughs> we have officially made it, David, because Matt Barrows, friend of the pod, Matt Barrows, in big bright letters emblazoned across the marquee of the athletic, 49ers endured cornerback rough patch by turning to the barnacle, Dante Johnson. I mean, I can't take any credit for this. This is all you. I my nicknames are my favorite thing. One of my favorite things in football. And the fact that this ridiculous nickname that we completely coined because my man just sticks around has made it into one of my favorite publications. You know, I, it just it's great. It's a good day. It's a good At least day. you we didn't go with, uh, you know, herpes or, you know, <laughs> something that would not have made a headline in The Athletic. The herp. The herp. <laughs> just the singular herp. No, that's I'm glad it's just Barnacle. You know, I, I do worry sometimes that he's going to like. He's not going to know if he reads that headline that it's like lovingly like the barnacle, not like is a disgusting it gross the barnacle. Is I mean, it? you know, it can be. It'll be. It'll just <laughs> it'll be fine. Let's talk about the Colts, though, because it's, you know, we had the bye week time to recharge. Not enough time for Trey Lance's knee to get right, uh, but time enough for Jimmy Garoppolo's calf to get right. And, and you look at this game leading into it. It is a game the Niners are favored by four. We've been saying for a couple of weeks now that this was the point in the schedule that they had to start racking up the wins. And the Colts come in, and they have really a, kind of a ton of injuries. They're just as bad, if not worse, than the Niners. Paris Campbell, on IR. Quentin Nelson, still on the fence. T.Y. Hilton, now has a shoulder injury. You look at their practice report of those people that don't play. I mean, Darius Leonard has an ankle and knee issue. Quiddy Pay has a hamstring issue. Like, this is a team that looks like, okay... The Niners are going to get them a little wounded as other teams are getting the Niners. But the thing that usually sways things is the quarterback. And my first question to you, David, especially <laughs> after the last two weeks, is Carson Wentz actually playing well? Is he finding his, his groove again under Frank Reich? Look, man, it's uh, at the very least, he is playing a lot better than the last time that we talked about Carson Wentz headed into a game uh, to to face him last season. So, 
yeah, I, I think like he's done a fantastic job of taking better care of the ball so far. And it's it's been, uh, I think, the single biggest difference in when you look at what he was doing through, I mean, really the entirety of last season, but especially early on. I mean, he was just uh, a turnover machine in that first like month, month and a half of the season. And so far this year, only one turnover worthy play through six games. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think like that's been a big change in, and that's like, that's going to do a lot. Like, even if what you're doing on the positive end of the spectrum, isn't changing a whole lot, right. Which you look at his big time throws, uh, very similar to where he was at, at this point last year. Um, I, I don't know that there's a whole lot there that's like significantly different, but when you cut down so drastically on the negative stuff, especially the heavy negative stuff, right. When you're giving the other team an opportunity to take the ball away from you, like, that's a, a just giant difference, right, in, in your performance and what you're doing for your offense. Now, this is just still a two and four team. They've only beaten the Dolphins and the Texans. So it's not a it's even it's not even like a proud two and four. But you look at that overtime loss against the Ravens and and man, that was one. It was a fun game, but it, it took Lamar Jackson's best half of football and maybe the best game as a passer in his career to eke out an overtime win against the Colts and then the Colts just demolish the Texans which we always talk about how you know good teams should demolish the bad teams and then you go against another good team and it may be a coin flip and I'm not saying that the Colts are necessarily a behemoth at this point but man I mean they they are able to especially against a good defense because the Ravens were a good defense um, and and the Ravens are a good defense still able to put up points and you look at, I mean, Jonathan Taylor is just so explosive. And, and if Wentz is not turning the ball over um, and he's able to exploit soft zones and, and he's able to actually get some explosive plays, then this isn't a team that the Niners can, that can really look past as maybe we thought they could going into this week. Yeah, I mean, I think they, they're at least better than a 2-4 and four record would suggest, right? Like, I, I think when you look, even when you look at some of the losses, right, it's not like they're getting blown out in games. I mean, they've been pretty tight. They were tight with the Rams. Um, it, was, it wasn't too bad off with the Seahawks. I mean, they still, as a again, as a 2-4 and four team, have a positive point differential. So, like, that, it... it at worst, right, puts them in in like the three and three neighborhood, maybe with a, a little bit more luck, a four and two team, right, in in another universe. So, yeah, I think like it's definitely not a situation where you can come in and just, especially with the way the 49ers have been playing offensively, um, expect them to just come in and and walk all over this team at home, right? Like and, and just kind of chalk this one up as a a get back on track win. Like I, I think it is going to be a little bit tighter than than you might have initially hoped for. Yeah, and I think when you look at those injuries, part of their explosive plays have really been using the speed of Paris Campbell and T.Y. Hilton, and that's exactly what they did against the Texans, but both of those players are going to be out at this point. And while Michael Pittman is, I think, a good wide receiver, he's not exactly the take-the-top-off kind of yeah. wide receiver. He's more of a, of a big dude, and it seems like the Niners are going to be comfortable with playing that kind of defense that keeps someone like Pittman in front of them. When you think of the Colts as a matchup, you have to think about their defense because that's what's been leaky. So are the Colts really a bad matchup for the 49ers offense, or is this really a place where maybe they can kind of get back on track given what the Colts have not been able to do well? 
Yeah, I mean, it's tough because, yeah, I, I think on the whole, right, the the Colts defense hasn't been very good. And I, I think a lot of that uh, is come down to their pass defense. But, yeah, I, I think, like, it's not the, – the areas that they've been good are the areas that the 49ers have been good. And then the areas that they've really struggled are largely the areas that the 49ers offense have struggled, right? So you, you come in, you're one of the best teams in the NFL so far in run defense. You're second in EPA per play. Um, your third and positive EPA percentage, your third and run defense grade. So what that tells me is you're not giving up explosive plays. You're not really allowing teams to be all that efficient on the ground. And generally speaking, the outcomes that you're having are, are lining up with the play that you're getting from your individual players, right? So uh, having kind of all three of those elements, like, yeah, they've been really strong in the run game. And so obviously we know the 49ers uh, are going to love to lean on that run game. And, and that's going to be kind of the focal point of what they want to do offensively. Um, so that doesn't look great, um, you know, on on paper. And then you go to pass defense. That's where they've been really leaky, right? They, they've had a ton of problems in pass defense, 28th in EPA per play there, 28th in, in team defense grade. So things have been very much at the bottom of the league when it comes to their ability to stop the pass, but the 49ers haven't been able to throw the ball, you know, basically since week one, right? Like week one, they came out and everything was, was looking great. But since then the, the pass offense has really struggled. So yeah, I think like it's not a great matchup for, I think, the game script that the 49ers would like to have. Yeah, I think if you look at what the Niners have relied on in the past, you talked about outside zone, and that's still their dominant run concept, but they have the third highest percentage of power plays on the ground behind any team that's not the Ravens in Cleveland. And and that probably has something to do with Trey Lance, especially in the the game that he played an entire game where they basically try to run and maybe did run him and his knee into the ground. And and so you, you think even though if you remove that amount of power play, you still have a lot of gap scheme usage. And they've been increasing their gap scheme even over the course of last year and the year before. We've talked about the counter runs and some of the things that they've leaned on that are a great complement to some of the runs that they have because some of the initial blocking on the one side looks right, but then you're kind of going to the other side of the offensive line. And, and so they are complementary runs, and the Niners have been folding more and more of these gap scheme runs over the course of the last couple of years. But now it is very much way more diverse, way more gap schemes. And it's something the Colts have been really good at defending, you know, both outside zone and power. And if the Niners are not going to be able to, to kind of get their money on the ground, especially on first down or those second and long runs that Shanahan loves every now and again, they might find themselves in third downs, and that's not a down that's been friendly to them over the last few weeks. Uh, yeah, I mean, when you look at, at how the Colts run defense is done, so if, if you kind of like basically split it up and look at how defenses do against individual run concepts, right, and you kind of just compare those across the league, basically the Colts' performance against both outside zone and power, which are the 49ers' two most common run concepts right now, the Colts' run defense is in the top 10 of all teams against any run concept, right? So all of those individual pieces, right? 32 teams against all the different run concepts that you want to go, like both of the Colts uh, against outside zone and power in the top 10, right? So they've been very, very successful uh, against those concepts, specifically relative to the rest of the league. And it's, yeah, I think even when you look at some of the the more, um, you know, like uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the, Constraint plays. Thank you. Uh, the constraint plays. You're uh, welcome. Yeah. 
finally got there, right? Uh, Constraint <laughs> plays uh, with the the jet sweeps and the reverses and and some of the things that they like to do with Debo. Um, they've been very good against those as well, and, and they've actually seen more of those than any other team in the league as well. So it's it's not. I mean, it's it's still a small sample, right? Nobody is is running those plays a significant um, portion of their offense, but um, they've, they've seen more of them than any other defense in the league and they've been very successful against them. So yeah, even, even as you narrow things down, right, they're very good on the whole, but the, the further you kind of drill into it uh, and look at some of these individual matchups, the Colts have been very good at what the 49ers have been doing well in the run game and, and what they want to do in the run game. But the Niners, this feels like a game where the Niners passing offense has got to get back on track. I mean, yes, we've been talking about the run game and that's going to be the foundation and where Shanahan likes to start. But he has gone into games with a pass heavy game plan when he knows that's at his advantage. And this is going to be one of those games where that is the case. And I think he's going to feel enabled again because he's got his his favorite binky back. He's got Jimmy Garoppolo and Jimmy Garoppolo looks like he's going to start now that his calf is better. And this is a Colts team that has been a very heavy zone coverage team. And Garoppolo doesn't have the accuracy to really beat man coverage a ton in really tight windows. And so if the windows are a little bit larger, Garoppolo has a bit more space. He's going to be able to kind of pick his shots a little bit. His catchable and accurate passes are going to be not as impacted by tight coverage. And, and this is a team that loves to do the cover three, cover two, cover four zone thing. And, and so now you get Jimmy Garoppolo back. I think Shanahan feels like he's going to have more of the playbook because even though, you know, and we've talked about it a lot over the last couple of weeks, we think Trey Lance is the better option for the future of the franchise. We both agree that Jimmy Garoppolo is the better passer today. Um, and, and so now I think you've got a head coach who feels like he's got his, you know, all of his tools in his toolkit back. You've got a quarterback maybe with something to prove. You've got a defense that plays some zone coverage that Jimmy Garoppolo can look to exploit. And all of a sudden you think to yourself, all right, maybe this is the game where the Niners get back on track and start writing that passing football shit. You would hope so. So I, I think like the it's and it's something that I imagine we will will spend a decent chunk of time talking about after this game. Right. In, in that if it's if it goes well, then, yeah, it, it's we're very much ho- like hopefully going to be able to look at this as the game where they kind of get back on track and and we get back to at least like the level of efficiency that we've gotten used to from this passing game over the last few years, right? Where, where even though they might not be getting the best quarterback play, like they're still able to produce right in the ways that they're getting guys open and they're, they're creating a lot of opportunities after the catch and, and doing all of those things um, that have kind of been the hallmark of this passing offense. Like it, it feels like even a lot of that stuff hasn't quite been there since week one, right? I think they've really kind of struggled. The, the open receivers haven't been there as frequently. I mean, we're talking about a team that was basically the the league leaders or um, among the top of the league in terms of the, the rate in which they were getting and targeting open receivers, right? And, and that just is, has not been there. It's, it's a lot more middle of the pack this year. And so you combine that with with what we've talked about at length with with Jimmy Garoppolo and like it it just depends I guess what version we get if we get the the version of the Jimmy Garoppolo offense that we've seen this year like I don't know like he hasn't looked great against zone this year you know like six of his seven turnover worthy plays have come against zone he doesn't look like he's seen things well every sack that he's taken I thought this was was interesting every single sack that he's taken has been against zone coverage so it just feels like something is there that he's not comfortable with or that, that he's not seen well when it comes to the zone coverage looks that they're getting. 
And, and so, yeah, I, I just don't know, like normally this would very much be a, a week that we're heading into where you expect the passing game to sort of thrive for all of the reasons that we're used to, right. That you mentioned Shanahan getting guys open Garoppolo being able to be accurate enough because he's got open guys to throw to and, and all that sort of stuff. Right. Um, but it just, they haven't been executing at that same level so far this year. So I think it's going to be interesting. And I think they're going to need to, you know, at, at some point they're going to have to pass the ball. Cause I don't think that they're going to have uh, as much success as if they would like in the run game. No, and I, and I do think that the Colts could put up some points here. I mean, the, what, you, you've got Carson Wentz who's able to take advantage of some of his, I think not having wide receivers is going to be a real benefit to the 49ers, especially, you know, because I do think that you've got wide receivers who can take advantage of one-on-one matchups and a quarterback who's willing to throw it up to them. Now you take away two of those weapons. You, you still have someone like Jonathan Taylor who is explosive. That guy is a lot faster than you think he would be based on the way that he looks in his build and his size. Um, but when you think of the teams that give Garoppolo a lot of trouble, they're the teams that give a lot of quarter, a lot of quarterbacks trouble that, you know, kind of stick in the pocket and aren't too mobile. And that's ones with a lot of pressure or the ability to put pressure on the quarterback. And especially those that can rush with four. And, and we think about our good friend, Forrest Buckner coming back to town. He's probably going to have a little chip on his shoulder. Yes. But, Overall, the Colts' pressure rate is not great. Matt Eberflus's defense is not one that's been heralded as having like a lot of pressure packages. He, he in the Athletic, he's quote, he's quoted as having a high school Tampa two defense, which I thought was kind of hilarious. Um, which isn't entirely true. Um, we looked it up. Research department coming in. Um, they do play a lot of cover two, but it's about fifteen percent, which is eleventh highest in the league. Um, but nevertheless, their pressure rate not super great. They're 25th in pressure rate at just 30.5%, and they don't blitz a whole hell of a lot. They're 25th in blitz rate. Uh, And so when you put all that stuff together, it's like, okay, their pass coverage is not super great. They don't really get a lot of pressure on the quarterback. And DeForest Buckner, despite the fact that he's getting paid a ton of money, isn't really powering a lot of pressures from that team um, in terms of an overall pressure rate, even if he's already got 20 pressures on the season. Um, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, it does feel like it's kind of setting itself up if Jimmy's going to get back on track for this to be it. It's got to be like, yeah, I, I just feel like it's it's going to be very problematic if we get to uh, Sunday. Well, this is a Sunday night game. So I guess, uh, you know, Monday when we're recording the recap pod for this game and, and if we're talking about another week in which the 49ers passing offense struggled and and just didn't look good and and wasn't able to produce like that's going to be problematic because yeah they're not going to have a lot of better opportunities and better matchups in that facet than this game yeah and i think you look at deforest you look at their pressure rate you look at someone like deforest buckner and you think to yourself that's that's surprising that they can have someone like deforest buckner and just not have really an appreciable pressure rate to speak of and it's because there's there's really no one else there to take the load off of deforest buckner it's interesting to look at both him and Eric Armstead because I think a lot of fans, especially this week, are looking back glowingly on DeForest Buckner, and they should. I mean, he was he played a thousand snaps one year. He was a bright spot on that defense when there was hardly any. But when, when you look at their performances this year, DeForest Buckner versus Eric Armstead, Eric Armstead has 20 pressures on the year. He's got one sack. DeForest Buckner has two sacks, and you've got uh, 20 pressures. Eric Armstead is doing it on fewer snaps overall than DeForest Buckner. So when you look at the, when you look at their per play efficiency, 
Eric Armstead's actually getting a little bit better in terms of pressuring the quarterback than DeForest Buckner. You look at their run grades and their ability to stop the run. Eric Armstead is also outperforming DeForest Buckner so far this season. I think while lots of people will sit here and say that it was a clear move to keep DeForest Buckner at all costs, whatever you can do, I don't think the team made a bad gamble in paying Eric Armstead. And and I think we've said it several times on this show that it, the, the process in trading DeForest Buckner is 100% right. What they did with those picks is a different story, <laughs> yes. right? But but the actual pay Eric Armstead less money, get you know the same production in a slightly different position, and and trade away DeForest Buckner and not pay two interior linemen basically uh, or defensive end that kicks down to the interior is a smart move. And and I do think that Eric Armstead isn't getting enough due because he is playing as well or better than DeForest Buckner this year. And yeah, I think especially this year, right? I think like last year Armstead was kind of more just what he's been for most of his career, right? Which is like a, a very good solid player but you, no, nobody that you'd be talking about like is one of the best at his position right or one of the best in the nfl is a defensive lineman and this year he's very much been in that conversation i feel like like he is is absolutely when you look across the defensive line you know both edge players interior players obviously he's kind of doing you know a little bit of both there but um i i think he's he's very much been on that level of like one of the best defensive linemen in football through you know the first six weeks of the season so so, yeah, I think, again, from, you know, going back to him and Defoe, was it is it was it that clear that he was going to be that Eric Armstead was going to be a, a better option or at least as good of an option like at the time? Like, I don't know. I think that's more uh, of an argument there. But in terms of what the 49ers did, like you said, from a process standpoint to get rid of uh, Defoe and get a first round pick for him, knowing that they weren't going to be able to pay both players like uh yeah i think absolutely is is something one i mean really one of the few moves i feel like that that you would absolutely go back and do again right from from this regime but what if the 49ers lose we'll talk a bit about that and more when we come back after hearing from our sponsors this week's pod is brought to you by tick pick 49ers football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find 49ers tickets anymore because tick pick that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need is your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. You can get tickets to the game against the Colts and see Jimmy Garoppolo get back on track, or at least we hope you will. Visit TickPick.com slash Rivals today to save $10 on your first order of 49ers tickets. That's TickPick.com slash Rivals. All right, so what happens if the Niners lose? I I think this is the game where the Niners get back on track. I think this is a game where the passing game specifically gets back on track. I think Shanahan's going to be real smug in that postgame presser when Jimmy's, you know, got 280 yards and two touchdowns. And he's like, I told you guys, that's all I needed. I just needed Jimmy back. And, and they can win a game through the air. And, and, and while I do think that's ultimately going to be the outcome for the 49ers, what happens if they lose? There's been a lot of talk. I mean, we talk, we've talked about it on Discord a couple of times. You see it on Twitter. You see it seemingly everywhere. People are not happy with Shanahan. They're talking about maybe he, you know, he's, he's a trash coach and you know, bringing bring Brian Dable and this, that, and the other. Um, if he is... If they don't win, is he on the hot seat? 
should his job be in jeopardy at the end of this year if they don't make the playoffs? So I think there there's like a, a few different things there, right? Like, should this conversation change based on the outcome of this one game? No. Like, I, I, I think you can start to look, you know, especially like it, you mentioned at the end there, right? If they don't make the playoffs again this year and they keep basically the the level of health that they have at the moment, right? If things don't go completely off the rails again uh, and, and they, they don't miss the play or the, excuse me, they do miss the playoffs. Um, then yeah, like I would understand a little bit where that's coming from. I don't, I don't agree with it, but like, I think, yeah, you, you have basically one season, right. Where things kind of came together for, for this team and they were put together. I, I think it's at least a conversation, right? Like it, when you get to the end of the season and that's the outcome, if they lose this game, like nothing changes, right? I, I, you're not, you shouldn't be basing your opinion uh, as to whether he should keep his job based on this one game. But I, I do think like this is the type of game I would expect them to to win for sure. Like I, I think right now the level of team that it feels like they are is a team that should be able to handle business against an inferior team, right? You look at, at teams like the Lions, the Eagles, right, where they were able to come away with their wins. Um they they should be able to handle business just because of what he offers from a game plan perspective, the level of talent that they have, all of that stuff, right? And I think where they struggle right now because of of some of the struggles that they're having at, at key spots are against the better teams, right? And I think that's kind of a, a little bit of a separate conversation. But yeah, I, I think like right now, it's, you know, look, the head coach does a lot of different things and we can kind of get into some of that, but uh, I, I think it's fair to question him in his performance in certain areas and still not come to the conclusion that they can find a better person for this job. Exactly. And I think that's that's it right there. I think that people get generally really myopic and they focus on the thing that bothers them in that moment. And they forget the larger tapestry of what it is to be a head coach in the NFL. It's not just to call plays. It's not just to, you know, succeed or fail on fourth downs. It's it's so many different things. It's hiring great people, right? Jim Tomsula hired a quarterback's coach that was a radio DJ before he was back in the NFL, right? Like and and all and we're over here talking about Bobby Turner basically being one of the greatest position coaches of all time. And and that's the difference in having someone who's got a network of coaches that he can rely on that he can bring in to be a part of the organization as a whole. You've got to be able to hire great people, and those people have got to be able to develop players because I think development really happens at the position coach level. We, we put a lot of that on the coordinator or maybe on the head coach, and there's probably some of that there, especially for positions like quarterback. But a lot of that development happens at the position coach level. You've got to hire great position coaches. You've got to field a good offense or defense, whatever maybe your pedigree is. Um, and, and for Kyle Shanahan... The offense is so, like is so good because of his scheme that it puts him in an elite few, and you can't discount that, I think, so quickly. And even though defense is not his forte, he's got Robert Sala, who fielded a great defense for the time that he was here outside of 2017, 2018, right? And now I think D'Amico Ryans is also putting together a top 10 defense, which is pretty remarkable, especially given the scraps that he's trotting out at corner and defensive back. And so he's still able to find talent, even in an area that's not his specialty. You've got in-game decision-making. You've got building a positive, healthy culture. And then for Shanahan specifically, you've got some key personnel decisions. I think, yeah, we've talked about his in-game decision-making. Not great. 
And we've talked about some key personnel decisions that he's failed on. And I think the biggest albatross that you lay at his feet is not being able to quite figure out the quarterback position. Trey Lance is, you know, we'll see what happens there, but that's his swing. But I think if you look at across all of those things, all of those things that the Niners have not had for a long time at different stretches, because even when Harbaugh was here, he only built a really great, positive, healthy culture for maybe like two years out of the four <laughs> that he was here. And, and, you know, you still get a good head coach. And while there are things about that head coach that you would love to be different and there are misses and swings that he's got, that's still a good head coach on balance. And I think people that are sitting here saying that, you know, we should fire him and he's trash and he's awful. It's like, that's the real quick way for me to identify someone that I think really doesn't know what they're talking about. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, uh, you know, when you get rid of somebody like this, right, you have to feel confident that you can upgrade, right. And end up in a better position. I think that's a difficult spot, right? I, I think, uh, and if you've been listening to us for any length of time, like I, I certainly don't think that Kyle Shanahan is above criticism, right? Like in, in a lot of areas. And I think even in some important areas, like I, I think you can make a very strong argument, right? That the number one thing, number one reason you hire Kyle Shanahan as your head coach to begin with is because you want consistency offensively and you want to solve your quarterback issues, right? Like that's basically what it comes down to. That's why you bring in, and that's the whole appeal league wide, right? Of bringing in, there's so many offensive coaches now as head coaches. And that's very much the the trend that we're seeing. And it's because consistency offensively is what leads to consistent winning for, for the most part, right? When you look at it more, uh, league wide type stuff and not necessarily narrow down into specific situations. Like the, the teams that, that can be, uh, effective offensively and especially can throw the ball and have stability at quarterback, right? These are the teams that year in and year out are going to be contenders and, and that are going to be in the mix. And, and so you're hiring Shanahan to solve that problem for you, right? To come in, to provide consistency offensively and to figure out, the quarterback. And while he's done, I think largely one of those, right. You look over the, the, the entire tenure there, they have uh, very much performed well above what you would expect offensively. Right. And still managed to be among the better teams in the league in terms of production from that standpoint, he has not figured out quarterback. Like quarterback has been an absolute fucking tire fire um, for the entire time that he's been here. And, And so like, that's a problem. Like that is, the position that you need to figure out if you want to have sustained success, right? And, and so, like, that's a problem. And then you get to, like, yeah, I think in-game decision-making is one of those things that is very um, top of mind because fans see it, right? You see it every week. It's it's one of the elements that all of those things that you mentioned that head coaches do that we get to see every Sunday, right? And so I think those things get magnified when in reality it is probably a pretty small percentage of of what he's doing and, and the overall worth of what he's bringing to the table. Um, so yeah, I, I think there are definitely areas that you can can criticize what he's done and, and point out things that he needs to improve upon if, if this team is ever going to take the next step, but still not be like, yeah, calling for his head because like, who are you going to go get that's going to provide what he's providing and then improve in the other areas that he's lacking, right? It's just, it's such a tough, uh, tough thing to find. And, and you're just like, those guys just aren't readily available, right? 
Yeah, and, and I think that when you talk about personnel, because that's the other big part of, of the quarterback thing is drafting the C.J. Bethards. It's, you know, playing the Nick Mullins. It's passing on my, it's, you know, it's opportunity cost too. It's passing on Mahomes. It's passing on some of those other players. I think that while it is convenient and easy to lay the entirety of that on Shanahan, and I think I'm certainly comfortable laying the entirety of the quarterback decision-making on Shanahan, because I think Lynch has been pretty clear that that's going to be a call that Shanahan has to make just because he's going to pick the guy who's most com- who he's most comfortable with, which is why I also think the absurdity of thinking that he was somehow convinced or tricked into picking Trey Lance as as a theory that's been out there. It's like, no, that's, that's the guy happen. that he wanted. Yeah. yeah. And if and if he would have said a Mac Jones at the end of the day, Lynch would have been like, that's cool. It's Mac Jones. Right. Like that's that's I think how this ship works. But I do think that you look at the Ambry Thomases of the world and the Aaron Banks of the world and the Solomon Thomases of the world. And yeah, I think Shanahan probably has to nod his ascent on, especially the Solomon Thomas pick, because it was a top five pick. But I don't think that the team is running to Shanahan and saying, hey, I think we're going to do Andrew Thomas. Is that cool with you? And Shanahan's like, mm, I don't know. I'm going to pull out my magic eight ball here. Uh, yes, go ahead. No, like that's that's Adam Peters. That is a scouting department. That is a positive scouting report from the field scout and the area scout. That's someone on the table saying this is where he is on the on the draft board. That's that team's organization and their organizational structure making that decision. It's not just Shanahan who's out here saying like, yep, that's one I approve of for absolutely sure. So I think that those personnel decisions also as an organization lay at the 49ers feet and not just at Shanahan's feet. Yeah, absolutely. I think personnel goes beyond him. And I mean, I think, you know, especially when you look at at the offensive picks, obviously he's going to have more influence there. And I I would imagine the earlier picks, right? Like you're not going to, you know, while maybe I'm not, I have no idea whether this is the case, but like, you know, I don't know if he's pounding the table for Javon Kinlaw, but you're not taking Javon Kinlaw, you know, at at 14 overall, unless Shanahan's cool with it, right? If, If there's somebody else there, that he is really wanting to grab, like you're probably going to go that direction. I mean, I I think that's kind of where, like he's going to be involved in the big, important decisions, those early round picks. And he's obviously going to have a say in, in what they're doing offensively and and the personnel that they're looking to fit there. And then kind of beyond that, you know, yeah, he, he's not sitting there like grinding tape on every single fucking position. And like he, he has, I mean, that goes back to the hiring, great people, right. And and hiring people that you trust and, and surrounding yourself with people who you think are capable and and can handle this stuff for you. And and so I think there is, you know, obviously, uh, plenty of personnel decisions that you can question. And and that I think extends well beyond him, but, uh, yeah, I I think even the offensive ones, right. Like there's, there's stuff there, but, um, yeah, I, I think like we've seen, unless you're Bill Belichick or Bill Walsh, like, you probably shouldn't be coaching and having a significant say in, in most personnel decisions, but that's just like not the way it works right now. Like any, any of these like top yeah. coaches, uh, that are highly sought after, like they, they are in, they have the leverage to get some power there. And, and I think that's what they seen. So they're going to be involved. They're going to want to have a hand in, in picking some of these guys. And, uh, yeah, I think that's been the case for him. Yeah. You know, Bill Walsh picking great ones like Giovanni Carmazzi. You know, that's Bill Walsh never got it wrong. Never. Not once. True true thing. No, it says it in Finding the Winning Edge. It's right over here. It's actually just it's just a lot of empty pages and like one page that says never got it wrong with two middle fingers. Yep. Fuck you. I was always right. (laughs) There's actually three middle fingers, one with each one with a ring on each one. 
<laughs> oh, come on. He, you he know grabbed what? a fourth middle finger because he took that that first Seifert one for sure. That was his. Yeah. that's that. If we ever redid, if we ever rebranded uh, as like a, just like a fuck the world podcast, that's going to be it. This is going to be like five fingers with five rings, all of the middle fingers. We'll figure out a way to do it. We'll get staff designer Josie on it. Better rivals. <laughs> fuck you. We were right. Just kidding. <laughs> we've, we've dropped so many F-bombs. It's time to pull the ripcord. We're getting the fuck out of here. Uh, so th- thanks for tuning in this week. Uh, you can find me on the Twitter's at Better Rivals. David, tell me about the Patreon because that's how people are watching us this wonderful fine evening. Patreon.com slash Better Rivals. Get the live streams, the weekly video breakdowns, the Discord, all the fun stuff uh, in the off season. There's going to be all sorts of stuff that's only available to patreon subscribers so get in there buy us a beer and uh it'll be a great time yeah you get to meet ronnie bot yeah those of you who know no you know uh yeah thanks again for tuning in i think it's going to be a win for the niners against the colts it'll be a good passing day overall uh so we'll, we'll tell you all about it on sunday night or on monday night sorry monday 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 we're dads we have to sleep uh sunday night football, so we'll come tell on. You. you think i'm staying up past 10 p.m get the fuck out of here I had to get one more in there, didn't you? <laughs> Sorry. We're a beer and a half deep, all right? You know, it's not a common Wednesday occurrence for me right now. Oh, my goodness. All right, we'll get out of here before David fucks up or not anymore. But as always, go Niners. <laughs>